Thank you for calling Gay Wire. Your call is very important to us. Press 1 for fourth wave feminism. Press 2 for a strangely in-depth discussion about where the worms have gone. Press 3 for... You have chosen option 3. Please stay on the line. Hello, and thank you for choosing option 3. You've reached Gaywire, where everything is at least a little bit queer. I'm your host, Terrence Adams, and my pronouns are mostly they, them. Somewhat he, him, and necessary to use when referring to me in the third person. Gaywire, of course, is live on CJSR 88.5 FM on Treaty 6 Territory and Region 4 of the Métis Nation of Alberta, or wherever you fancy, by listening to Gaywire on your favorite podcast platform. Just search Gaywire CJSR. This week is a long-awaited part two of my chat with Brie Bucallo on self-care in relation to helping others, the idea of making sure that we're equipped to help someone with a problem, and what we can do when we can't manage it. First though, a reminder of the community fridge. Now that the days are longer and the sun has made sidewalks much more accessible, it could be a grand old time if you went and donated food to the community fridge outside of the Earth's General Store on White. They accept fresh vegan donations and are a lovely example of radically accessible community aid, or mutual aid. Speaking of mutual aid, Q Lawrence is still raising money for their wheelchair. The one they have right now is nowhere near what they actually need to meet their needs, so head on over to their Instagram if you have a bit of money to spare. They're almost halfway to their goal, and their Instagram is at Q just the letter. There are some incredible folks doing incredible events to help raise some money, so be sure to check those out too. Those can also be found on its Instagram, which is, again, at Q just the letter. Q Lawrence is the amazing queer crip activist who introduced Gaywire to disability justice, one of the most thoughtful and well-rounded structures of activism out there, along with the recent changes to medically-assisted death in Canada, and how those changes aren't necessarily a good thing. Please be sure to check out that interview by heading over to any podcast streaming platform and listen to episodes titled Queer Crip 1 and 2. Speaking of disability justice, I have a book recommendation. I just finished reading Crip Kinship by Dr. Shada Kefai, and I could not recommend it more. This book is made from love and tears and community, and will challenge you to reevaluate your preconceived notions of eroticism, care, community, capitalism, and disability, of course. Please, please, please check out Crip Kinship by Dr. Shada Kafai, available wherever you find your books. If you're looking for a place to get your books from, check out Glass Bookshop online. It is also of note that the publisher 
Arsenal Pulp Press is the same publisher as Gabe Calderon's upcoming young adult indigiqueer dystopia, Magodas. That one isn't out just yet, so enjoy Crip Kinship while you wait. Alrighty, that is all I have to say before our interview, so let's get into it. This is myself, Terence Adams, speaking with Brie Bucallo about caring for ourselves and others. Yeah, happy to. My name is Brie Bucallo. I use she, her pronouns. I'm a community social worker at the uh, with wellness supports under the Dean of Students here at the U of A. And I have been um, within this role for longer than I want to talk about, <laughs> quite some time. I've been on campus. I've also worked with uh, resident services. So I was a residence coordinator for four years. Um, and also have worked in, in various other social work settings, hospitals and so forth. So yeah, that's just a, a little bit about me. You have the emotional capacity to engage with a friend who's going through a rough time, but what do you actually say to them that can help? Yeah. Yeah, I. the thing I really want to um, highlight here is to never underestimate the power of someone just being heard. Um, I know certainly there are lots of times where someone does need, you know, actionable help and we can get to that point. But I think sometimes we get this sense of almost pressure on ourselves that you know, I, ha- I have to be the one to help lead this person into, um, you know, the next steps. And I really want to reinforce, there is such a power in just being heard in being allowed to unfold your story, uh, to, to identify the emotions that someone is feeling. Um, we talk about something called affect labeling. And so affect labeling is just a fancy term for saying, I say out loud the emotion that I'm feeling. Um, And it sounds so simple, but uh, they've been doing research and and being able to, you know, brain scans, all that kind of stuff. And and we can see that when someone says, I'm feeling crappy or um, I'm in distress or uh, I'm frustrated, I'm regretful, I feel guilty, I'm lonely, right? These kinds of statements even though I think a lot of times, um, particularly, and I can only ground myself in Western culture, that was what I've been raised in and what I know most intimately. But when um, a lot of the times you've been sort of trained to say, oh, if you, if you say I'm feeling crappy, then you're just going to continue to feel more crappy. It's sort of this weird um, toxic positivity idea, right? Like I shouldn't identify the negatives. I should only focus in on the positives. Um, but we, we know that if I can label and say out loud those negative emotions, that actually starts to, to shift. It, it turns um, off our stress response, our freeze, fight, flight, and we can start to get different parts of our brain turning on and we have a better chance of being able to think. 
So you being able to just let and facilitate someone sharing those emotions, saying that these, these things are, are hard and difficult, um, that alone has a lot of power to help. Now, I know sometimes it can get draining as a helper, right? If, if all we're sort of hearing from someone is, is how hard things are. And I think that's when we need to start listening to our tells, right? When we start thinking about our boundaries um, to say, hey, you know what? Like, are there other places that maybe we can get you to, to also be sharing this? Because the, you know, the more someone can sort of explore that inside interior emotional world and the things that are going on, the, the closer we sort of get into that space of, giving their brain the ability to move forward. All of that being said, of course. So the first thing is, yes, I want, I want to say we can help by just listening and bringing forward a caring and empathetic stance. If we wanted to move further into some of those, those strategies, you know, listening strategies, you can do active listening. So active listening is really just asking open-ended questions and I, I will say, so even I've worked with, you know, I do trainings for a lot of people on campus and, and I fall into this um, trap myself. A lot of the times we think we're asking an open-ended question. So that's a question that allows someone to expand out as opposed to a pose where it's a yes or no response. We trick ourselves into thinking we're asking open-ended questions if it's a really long sort of question, right? So do you think that when you, you know, walk into that classroom and you get these feelings that, you know, da, 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 da. even though it's a really long question, it, I'm still actually only asking a yes or no question because I started it with do. So a really great trick to help yourself remember, am I asking a closed-ended question or am I asking an open-ended question is to start it with who, what, where, when, how, describe, give, or explain. If you start a question with those, it's going to be an open-ended question. And so I like to, to remind myself of that when I'm, when I'm talking to someone. Um, another big piece that we can do, and this is hard, but to understand that we're not trying to fix someone. Our role is not to do that. Our role as friends and helpers is to sort of be beside someone and help them figure out what their next steps are. Unless someone has really hit that crisis point, right? Where they're, they're truly in that moment where they don't have a sense that they can move forward. They don't have a sense that they have any resources. You know, maybe even they don't have hope for change. You know, that's, a, that's sort of more of that, that crisis tipping point. But all the way up until then, it's important for us to realize that... <laughs> We can give all the suggestions in the world, but if it, if it doesn't resonate with someone, you know, they're, we're just talking and they're not going to, they probably won't follow through. I can think of so many times where, you know, good natured advice giving, I just, you know, smile and nod at that person and then do absolutely nothing with it. <laughs> right. So, you know, we, if we take that step back and say, you know, I'm not, here to fix. I'm here to ask you, what have you thought of? Um, what are some of the things that might happen if you did that step? Are there any other things you might've thought of? What might happen if you do those other things, right? We're just trying to help them shape their own path forward. And from there, if, if you've really explored all those things, you're still not hearing sort of 
a resource or a next step that you know might really be a good one, that's where we might be able to say, hey, you know what? I've heard some of these things. I, I didn't hear you mention one thing. I just want to throw it out there um, to see if that's something that might work. But I always like to start with where they want to go first. Um, and then from there, it's really about, okay, if they want to get connected to resources, how can I do that in a really meaningful way, right? In a way that really helps get them into that resource. Um, uh, negative of our pandemic is that lots of people have been accessing mental health resources or health resources and our healthcare system is overwhelmed. So the reality of that is you may reach out to resources and it may be a really long wait, or you might not even you know, qualify to get in um, based on their sort of triaging protocols. So for me as a helper, the most important thing you can do is say, hey, I'm going to spend some time helping you get in there um, and I'm going to follow up with you. I'm, you know, I'm going to say, hey, how did it go trying to get connected to you know, that doctor or how did it go trying to um, get a counseling, counseling appointment or whatever that might look like and, and really doing that follow-up piece because we know it might, maybe you got an appointment through AHS, right? We're talking about community members. Um, but it's in four months. <laughs> You're like, okay, so what can we do in the interim? Where can we get you connected now that will, you know, keep you at a sort of a, a floating level until that point? Um, so for me, those are the, the, the sort of concrete things that we can do as a helper. What do we do when our friend is in that, is at that crisis point? And it's going to go a couple different ways. And I will say, um, if, if you if anyone out there listening, you know, if you're, if you're working with um, friends and family and maybe even yourself, if, if we're getting to the topic of suicide, right. If, and, and that does come up, it's very prevalent, um, way more prevalent than we, we ever like to talk about or admit generally. Um, I would really recommend um, if you go through the city of Edmonton's website, they have an initiative right now called living hope. And through the Living Hope Initiative, it's about trying to reduce, you know, um, do suicide prevention within Edmonton. But I think, um, I don't think that there's like an address requirement. So if you're somewhere else in the province, you might still be able to take it. But they have, um, you can take a couple of free trainings around the topic of suicide. And one of the ones that I know for sure you can access for free, it's, it's roughly a one hour, maybe an hour and a half, depending on how quickly you move through it, online asynchronous training. It's called Living Works Start. And um, you, you just practice, like you, they give you some uh, ideas of what to look for, you know, what signs and symptoms to pay attention to, how to ask that question, like saying, hey, it's pretty important that we specify saying, um, you know, are you having thoughts of killing yourself? Are you, you know, having thoughts of suicide? So we know exactly what we're talking about. Um, and then it walks you through, you know, sort of the next steps there. And, and so that's a great free resource that anyone can um, connect in with. I, uh, they also have some really great information on their website. It's called the 11 of us. We worked, um, they pulled in people from across Edmonton. Our team was one of them to um, really just pull out some of that further information and give you some of those tips just in that uh, 11 of us website. So I would start with that because a lot of times when you think about crisis, it, it may be around that topic. Not always though. Um, 
if we're not sort of going on that path, but we know that someone's really in struggle and um, it feels, I think the biggest thing is when we think about crisis is that it's urgent, right? It feels urgent for them. Things have to happen now. And usually um, they don't have a sense that they have that ability to make change or have resources to do so. When we're hearing that from someone, that is sort of where we go, okay, I might need to help get you to somewhere um, and do a little bit more. And so what that might look like, um, you know, I might get someone, I might walk with them or be with them while we call um, one of those more crisis oriented resources, right? That could be a crisis line. If you're in Edmonton, there's the um, 24-7 access. And so that's a, um, like a mental health and addictions, sort of, again, a triaging um, area where they can help get someone connected into further resources without necessarily having to go into, you know, the ER department. Um, there are pros and cons, of course, with our system, the way it is set up and just the realities of having to access those systems. But, you know, at the end of the day, if someone is truly um, in imminent risk of harm to self or others, um, 911 really is uh, sort of one of our only systems set up to help in those immediate moments. But I do wanna say, of course, I really like to approach that with a question of how do we do this that is safe for you? Um, does that mean having a, a person with them? It doesn't have to be you. Maybe they have a friend or, or someone else that they would like to have with them in that moment. Um, would they like to walk to, you know, could we walk or LRT or get to the ER together, right? Like what are those ways to try and do it as safely as possible? But that unfortunately is sort of our, our last stop in our, in our current system is, is that 911 call. Um, and then the other piece I just want to say, again, with crisis, you as the helper in that moment, the biggest things you can do is to go back to that empathy, go back to those active listening moments, because someone's really heightened, right? They're, they're, they're in a, a very heightened state. And we, if we can try and keep ourselves, it's hard, but can, if we can keep ourselves calmer and just really allowing for them, giving them that time to talk through what's going on, even if it hasn't solved the problems, letting them cry it out, letting them like sort of really get through those next, you know, the bigger things that are hitting them right now. Again, going back, that will help start to kick in the parasympathetic nervous system for them. And they'll start to get to a, a little bit more of a place where their brain can start to think about next steps as opposed to just being that, that heightened state. So we, if we can just give that space, it really is a powerful thing to help um, in that moment. Does that, is that uh, <laughs> enough for you around there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then just for uh, a couple more questions here, um, self-care afterwards to make sure that you av avoid compassion fatigue is, is very important. Um, and often listening to people's uh, 
stories or if they're if they're venting or they're um, conveying instances of trauma or they're talking about things that can put you in an, a heightened state as well. So um, what are some grounding or self-regulation strategies that uh, you can engage with after you've uh, sort of yes. got the crisis yes, situation certainly. or the negative situation so to a much more because, stable like, place you know, for your friend. I know for sure, like those stories stay with you. Sometimes they can be visceral <laughs> reactions and, and sort of um, hearing that, you know, relating to those, those pieces. And so it's hard um, and it is worth it for you to explore what will work for you. Everybody has a different sort of self-care regulation piece that's gonna, you know, sort of ping their brain the best. Um, for myself and in, you know, lots of the literature, um, a big one is nature. And I think sometimes we, um, I know myself particularly um, with having been home for two years, um, I forget that just like, just, just go stand outside. Like you don't even have to go for a walk because sometimes it's so cold, right? But just like, get outside. There's something about being under, like not having a roof over your head, feeling the wind on your face, you know, trying to just listen, listen to the sound of the trees. Um, you know, lots of people call it forest bathing. There's lots of, you know, discussion about the impact of nature on us, but, you know, sometimes we're like, well, I can't get into nature. I live in a city and, you know, blah, 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 like just step outside. Um, just open a window and stick your head out. Um, another big one, um, is talking yourself, finding, you know, someone that you can talk to. And there are ways it's important for us to understand confidentiality, being a trusted, caring, um, helper is important, but there are ways that we can share how we've been impacted by listening to someone without sharing identifying materials, right? Like hopefully you're going to someone who's not like in like very tied to the other person, like they hopefully wouldn't be able to identify who you're talking about. Um, but we can say, hey, you know, I was talking to someone, I was listening to this, but this is how it made me feel, right? Talking about your emotions um, and sort of getting that, that lightening of the load by sharing it can be really helpful. Um, another big one for me is, is actually music. Um, it's interesting. I don't, Personally, I'm not a spirit. I don't have a, a religious, um, you know, connection. I'm vaguely spiritual. Um, I know for some people, those are really important areas. But music for me actually fits that niche. Um, I sing in a choir. And um, when I am surrounded by live music, when I feel voices coming together, there's something very powerful about that sort of almost transcends, you know, your day to day. So, you know, is it finding spaces where live music like even if it's just a um you know street performer like just going and actually stopping and listening you know pausing your your busyness and just stopping and, and truly just focusing in on the soundscape of something um or again if you combine some things going out in that nature moving your body um and listening to some really powerful or beautiful whatever that kind of music is for you from like that is sort of my trifecta <laughs> of what I do. Um, and the final one that I am currently learning to explore and employ in my own life. And I will say, I have never been someone who really connected with exercise. I just, I didn't, <laughs> didn't like working out. I didn't like, um, 
you know, I wasn't sporty, all those things. And and I kind of poo-pooed that whole world. Um, But what I really found to be impactful was instead when I start thinking about movement is around how important it is for us to move our emotions and our stress physically out of our body. And I, you, you don't always think about it, but if you can like visualize like stomping on a snowball and like visualize stomping out your stress or having a quick jump, right? Just to like burst that energy, we need to move, physically move that stress out of our body. I mean, there's a really great book and I'm blanking on the authors, um, but uh, they, they wrote a great book about uh, burnout and they really talk about how biologically we are built to process stress through bursts of energy, right? Like when you're running away from a tiger, like you're bursting that energy or you're climbing the tree, but how we know we're safe is once we sort of get to that space of like, I've moved my body and then now I'm sort of in a space of, of letting that go. Like it gives us signal to our body that the stress is done. We don't have to be in that heightened space right now. So I'm really learning to incorporate that into purposeful movement um, while integrating that like mental health piece. So those are just some of them. One, oh, this is pretty cute. So (laughs) uh, what piece you can do, my daughter, she's five and she came home um, recently and told me how they're teaching her in class to do mountain breathing. Like what you know a breathing technique that I don't know <laughs> but it's so it's so great so you hold out your hand and you spread your fingers wide and you run your other finger um or you can just visually do it but if you run your other finger or um, uh, up along starting from the edge of your thumb and you breathe in to the tip of your finger and then you breathe out because you go down the finger And then you breathe in again as you go up the next finger and out again. You're just supposed to do this slowly, right? So it's just, it's combining that body grounding by touching, right? So the tactile sensation of moving along your hand. You're practicing that breath work, which is so key to calming down our systems. Um, and, And it's giving you something to focus on. So a lot of the times when we're in that heightened stress response, we can't focus our brains and we need to, if we start to shift into things like, counting or noticing um so like if you count your fingers as you go along that or counting your breaths that actually flips your brain into a a different mode because it it can't sort of hold on to to the two things and so you're starting to go into the analytical side of your brain and and that starts to help us um mentally sort of like reorient so i was like well there you go my five-year-old taught me (laughs) self-care technique and i'm so glad that that work is being started now you know in kindergarten like that's that's really big so I'm glad that that shift is starting to happen yeah absolutely I've never heard of that breathing strategy um before and I was sort of trying it as you were describing it and it's seems really great um because right (laughs) I know it's so yeah because if you're counting your if you're counting how long you're breathing then yeah you can just shift into the numbers and for people where where numbers are a cause of added duress um that's definitely not ideal so I don't know it's very good the grounding strategy that's super cool okay um yeah so uh 
thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Is there anything else that you would like to add um, on the topic of self-care, uh, caring for others? Um, I think the thing I just want to really say is I, I so appreciate, like I have always appreciated the friends in my life who have been there for me, right? Um, I was incredibly privileged that I had a supportive family. I have, you know, spaces within there that, you know, I feel cared for, but they still weren't necessarily the people I would turn to, you know, with life crap, because I didn't want to worry them. Uh, It was my friends. And um, it's just so powerful to know that you have that. But I've also been in this space where (laughs) uh, you get really overwhelmed um, by being that helper. And so just finding those ways to think about how do I, by enacting my boundaries, it means I can be there for you longer and be there for other people too, right? And so that that's where it comes from and, and comes down into. And that's what I'll, yeah, I'll end it out. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Part two of my conversation with Brie Bucalo about caring for ourselves and others. You can catch part one of that interview by going to Gaywire CJSR on your preferred podcast platform. If you're just tuning in, thank you. I hope your toes are warm, but not too warm, and that your mind is as at peace as you can manage with these gas prices nowadays. This is Gaywire on CJSR 88.5 FM on Treaty 6 territory and Region 4 of the Métis Nation of Alberta. Thank you so, so very much for listening to today's spoken word portion of Gaywire. If you're live, you can stick around for some music, and if not, the future is in your hands. In case you missed it, I did give a book recommendation earlier, and that book is Crip Kinship by Dr. Shada Kafai. Gaywire is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Amiskwichiwiskaigen, colonially known as Edmonton. Land which has been the home and traveling ground of many, including but not limited to the Blackfoot, Anishinaabe, Nakota Sioux, Soto, Dene, Cree, and Métis people. I recognize that I am a white settler on these lands and that I benefit from the ongoing violent structures that is colonialism, and that my work needs to be actively anti-racist and deeply intentional to begin to honor those who have been caretakers of this land for generations. This work begins with self-assessment and unlearning, an ongoing journey. All of us at Gaywire encourage you to think critically about the structures of power we reside within, your role in and around it, and what you can do to challenge the damaging legacies and mechanisms of colonialism in your day-to-day. This is not a one-and-done kind of issue. Please tune in next week to hear more Prairie Queer content, and until then, check out our socials. Our Instagram is at GayWireCJSR, as is our TikTok, and our Facebook and Twitter is at GayWire.
You can also email gaywire at cjsr.com if you have anything that you would like to share. Musings, music, thoughts, any interesting stories, queer-owned businesses, queer artists, queer events, queer gathering, queer love, anything really. Queer and trans, of course. Anyways, if you do email us, you never know, you just might get to be a part of the show. Please tune in next week. Our original music is by Doug Hoyer and Catherine Hiltz. Our artwork is by Travis Erickson. Until next time, remember to breathe and to stretch and to eat a freaking vegetable. And... Please stay on the line. <laughs>